Hi, everyone. Welcome to You Belong Here. I'm your host, Beth Ruffin. And if you've ever struggled with understanding your place in the world, I'm so glad you're here. I'm your guide for getting unstuck and showing up for yourself. Each week, we'll discuss actionable steps you can take to insist on yourself, ignite yourself to action, and create meaningful impact in your life. If you're ready for a life-changing transformation, grab a notebook and a pen and get ready. And in case no one has told you today, you belong here. All right, y'all. I am really excited for my guest this week. We went to college together to the University of Pittsburgh. That's not really how you say it, but that's how I'm going to say it. And we went to college together and have remained friends, you know, in the years after. And so I'm really excited to see you, Adrian. I don't even know, like, the last time I've laid eyes on you. But Adrian, welcome to the podcast. No, thank you so much. And I agree. I don't even know like the last time I've actually physically seen you, but it's great to to be here to have a conversation with you. I love the work that you've been doing in this space of belonging and inclusion and I'm honored to be here. Thank you. I'm honored to have you here. And I'm really proud of the work that you've been doing. So I can't wait to talk to you about that. So for the audience, give us a little intro of who you are and what you do. All right. So as you said, my name's Adrian King. And honestly, I am just a little Black girl that grew up in a very, very white space. And I am using that experience in every area of my life right now. I feel like actually my time at Pitt was when I started to realize the impact of that, right, of, of growing up in a completely white space. I remember Rob Penny and taking Africana studies class and feeling like an outcast. I was like, I don't belong here. But then I was like, why do I not belong in a room full of people that look like me? Right. He was actually, I think, my first Black teacher ever. So never had one. Elementary, middle school, high school, Right. And so I'm just using that in every space. So I've created a nonprofit organization called the Parap Society that really is focused on my experience growing up in elementary, middle school and high school and the things that you deal with, the things that you normalize, the things that you just do to fit in and belong with the majority. Right. That even includes laughing at some of the jokes and the racial slurs and things like that, because you just want to be like everybody else, right? Um, But realizing that bringing my children back to the same county that I grew up in, different school district, but same county, they're experiencing the same thing. And I don't want them to handle it the way that I did. I want them to be proud of who they are. I want them to feel like they are celebrated and that they are a part of their, their school community, their community that they live in. Right now, our, our kids are dealing with a lot of things, right? And, and yes, you go to school to learn your math, your science, but how can you show up and be your best if you're carrying all of this weight, right? So the nonprofit is called the Parab Society, and, and we just strive to celebrate diversity as a strength. So putting on you know, different events within the community to celebrate the Black culture 
and history and also partnering with other organizations that do that for their culture as well. And then we also work specifically one-on-one with parents and with students when they are having issues in their school. You'd be surprised how many parents or students just don't even know how to verbalize what's going on, right? They don't even know how to put that in an email, right? They don't know, maybe not need help understanding how to tackle a specific situation, what to ask for, what their rights are. So we help to connect them with different resources and tools, in addition to just sharing our experience with them and having helping them to learn from what we went through. I also wear this hat at work. I work in corporate America. I've, I've worked in the pharmaceutical industry for Merck for 20 plus years. And again, you know, going into corporate spaces and being the only in the room, at the table, on the team, doing the project, right? And again, you know, coming into work after, you know, post George Floyd's murder, it was hard. It was hard showing up every day, pretending like nothing was wrong. Till one day I just broke down in a meeting. Like this was a meeting with all of my executives, VPs, and they were doing a check-in one day. You know, we do a scale of one to 10. How's everybody doing? And normally I start my day off every day, nine, 10, because I work out in the morning. I got a lot of energy and people are used to that. In this day, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I said, I'm a two. And it shocked them. And I just had to tell them, like, with everything that is going on, I turn on the TV and I see people that look like me that are being killed, that are out protesting, that are doing... I can't, I just I just don't have it in me today. And from there, it just launched my campaign to make the corporate space better and to provide that space where we can come as a community to connect, to build community, to be well, to understand what wellness looks like, right? Just to be able to talk and speak about the things that are impacting us without having to wear a mask. Right. So I started something called Community Conversations and it, it started out weekly. Then we went down to biweekly and now we meet monthly and we just talk about all kinds of topics just for Black History Month. We actually did a listening party. Whoever heard of that? Right. Corporate America, we're supposed to be working. We also have an employee resource group called LEAD, which is the League of Employees of African Descent. So I also sit on that leadership team and connect to the business to prepare the bench of Black employees, right, to rise up through the ranks in the company, to prepare them to move along, make sure that there's movement in their career and they're not feeling stuck, right, or not feeling like someone's not listening to them or not feeling like they're developed, right? So I run that mentoring program, which is just an awesome time to be able to connect employees to leaders, right? So that they can get coaching and, and mentoring, you know, that, that they need. So those are all the different areas that I, I'm working in. We also own a for-profit business called So Fresh, So Green Juice Company. And really, we get so many looks from people when we tell them that we own a juice business. Okay. In my mind, I'm thinking because they're not expecting Black people to say that. The, honestly, that's what I think. I don't know if that's the truth, but I feel like there's very few of us in this industry. And people will say, like, how'd you get started doing that? Right. And so when we tell them in something that we're really connected to and honestly, where we live in Bucks County, black people are about two percent or less, maybe 
And so there aren't many. I can count probably on one hand of Black-owned businesses in the area. And so we're just proud to be one of them, forging the way, hoping that others will come when they see us and creating a space for us. Our, our business is, is built around music. All of our juices have music names. And so when, you know, when the time comes, when we open our storefront, want it to be a place where our community feels welcome to come and to hang out and to eat healthy, right? And to have, to energize themselves. So that's me in, in a nutshell. And I'm a wife and we have two daughters that are in elementary school and very, very active as well. And all of this really, my husband says, like, I feel like you turned on when you had the girls. And I think that's the truth because I feel like, how can I raise them to be who they need to be if I don't show them, if I don't create that space for them? And so I feel like everything that I am doing right now in life is for that purpose, right? And hoping that other, other children, other you know, students benefit from it as well. Yeah, and you know, there's definitely something about becoming a parent that you just see the world differently. Absolutely. And you know that you would do anything mm-hmm. to make the world a better place for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I want to know, how do you have the time to do all of that? Because I'm sitting here thinking about work, your nonprofit, your juice business, plus mother and wife. And I know you have a very active like friendship group that you all get together and do things too. So like, how do you have the time for all of this? Yeah, there's never enough time. And I don't believe in balance. I don't think that that's a a fair word to use is what I'll say. I like to use the word, I like to use the phrase that I flex in and out. So I flex in and out of the different spaces that I need to be in when it needs me. Sometimes there is a conflict of time management, right? And it's sort of last minute, like, hey, I got to do this. But it's a flexing in and out. And I, I realize that I do need to streamline some of what I'm doing or build teams around me that can help me more. I'm very self-sufficient. I am a person that doesn't mind getting down and rolling up my sleeves and doing the work. But I understand that as I start to do more, I can't do that by myself. You know, to the point where, and I'll be totally transparent and and honest because I know that you have with your journey, at the end of last year, I was burnt out. Christmas, like I sat on the couch probably for two weeks straight. I wouldn't return it. I had people emailing me, asking me to do stuff, calling me. I wouldn't return it. I wouldn't even check my email because I couldn't do it. And I think I had to go through that. That's really the first time that I've allowed myself to own it and say, this is okay. Um, And I, I really had to examine myself to say, I can't keep going at this speed. I can't keep stretching myself so much. I really have to think about where to put my energy and where it's going to impact the most, right? And so, you know, I have had friendships that have suffered and disconnected because of it because I haven't connected, right? I haven't 
given out the energy to be a friend that they have given into it, right? And so there will be a time of repair and things like that when I'm ready to, you know, when I'm able, I'll say, to do that. But really, I think over the last couple of months, I've just been examining everything that I've been doing to, to, to say like, okay, where am I putting my energy? What am I not, you know, I can't save the world. I can't be everything to everybody all the times, right? So what is it that I'm going to, to, to focus on? Like how, how am I going to bring things together? What I do like though, is that my work specifically in this space of building places of inclusion and belonging and wellness I see it at, like I said, at work with what I'm doing through my nonprofit, right? And, and so I see that similarity. So how can I sort of bring that together and then leave all the other stuff for somebody else to do? Absolutely. And I, and what I usually say is, you know, because of course, for me, inclusion is my life's mission. And that's the thread that runs through all that I do. And so I also use that as a filter. So if, if something is not contributing to that mission, then I don't need to be doing it, yeah. right? And that helps me create boundaries around what I yeah. say yes to and what I say no to. But I want to get into our questions here because I know you have some great advice for us. So we know that the first step in self-inclusion is insisting on your own belonging and insisting on yourself. So talk to us about that. How have you done that? And what advice do you have to our listeners? Yeah, what I've been telling people is if they look at me and if they look at the spaces right now where I am being celebrated or I am being awarded or, you know, or that people are recognizing me for, they're spaces that I created, right? So to me, the insisting is not waiting for someone else to bring you in. My husband and I talk about this a lot. And we said, you sort of have to create your own party and make them feel like they're missing out so that they come to your party. And now you're hosting the table. And so that's that's what I think about with with that question. And, and, and it can be hard. It's not easy. Right. When you're looking at, you know, I know when I came into corporate America, one of the things I struggled with was finding my identity as a black corporate woman, because all the corporate women I saw in front of me were not black. I didn't come from a family of corporate people. First generation college. My mom worked hourly in a, in a plant. My dad drove trucks. I didn't have that vision in front of me. And so when I went into corporate America, immediately I started looking around to say, what's my role model? And what I found myself doing was trying to be somebody else. The people that I saw getting the praise and getting promotions, changing who I was to be like them. And you can only sustain that for so long because then it's like you're looking in a mirror and you're like, who is that person? You're getting feedback at the end of the year and you're like, does that even align with who I am? And so I think I'm, I'm just at a place, you know, on the edge of turning 50 where I just think like I need to be authentically myself and you're either going to love it, you're not, what have you. 
but I am who I am and that's who I'm going to show up as. And if who I'm showing up as isn't right for the table that you have, then I'm going to move over here and open my own door, create my own table and keep it moving. And that's where the nonprofit came from. You know, the nonprofit really started moving after I tried to bring some of the diversity, equity, and inclusion work into my girls' school. And the doors got shut down. I was like, okay, I'm gonna just move over here and do it over here. And now I see that it's now being recognized by our community college. I tried to do it here in elementary school. They shut me down. And now the community college is recognized. You see what I'm saying? So it's like I created my own table in a different space, and now it's being seen by a wider audience, right? And so that would be my advice there is really to dig deep. And part of that is understanding your own values. You said how you sort of create your own boundaries. I've been using my, my values for that. What are the values that I have? And how does that connect to the things that I feel like need to be done or how I need to move forward? There's so much in that. I'm, I have myself on mute because I don't want to mess up our podcast recording, but y'all, I'm over here like lifting my hands and I'm like, yes, amen. There's so much. I want to unpack some of that. The first thing you said, create your own party. That is so rich, right? Because one of the phrases that people use in this work is by Verna Myers. And she's quoted as saying, diversity is having the dance and inclusion is being invited to dance. But with self-inclusion, it is creating your own party, right? These are my times. This is the music. These are the refreshments. This is the table. This is how we're doing things. And that is so rich. And I want to come back to what you talked about with your identity and authenticity and your values, because you, you talked earlier about growing up, you didn't necessarily see that in yourself because of the environment that you were raised in. And so how can people begin to see that and have that internally when it may not be coming from external sources? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think for me, that process started, it's almost like you have to be torn down to build back up. And what... I would say for me, that process really started when I was going through a really hard time in my life, a time when I could only rely on my faith and my relationship with God. And so spending a lot of those quiet, dark times, for me, it was in the shower, just being in that space for hours, thank goodness I had a big hot water heater, right? But being in that space for hours and just being still and quiet and making that connection to, for me, that higher power, the one who created me, right? And asking those hard questions. What is my purpose? Why am I here? What did you create me for? And then being quiet until the answer came. And the answer didn't come right away. Trust me, it came a year later, two years later. But you have to keep moving in that time, right? And really looking for 
like in all of the opportunities and spaces that I was in, I feel like there's never a bad opportunity. It may not be the one for you. It may, you may decide that you hate it and you don't want to ever do it again, but there's always something to learn. And I think doing that sort of check-in for myself as I go through different experiences and have different opportunities help me start to identify at the core who is Adrian. What are the things that matter to me? And authenticity is one of my values because for so long, I feel like I wasn't authentic. And I feel like that is something that is going to not just help me, but help future generations as well. And so I often like to put myself into new spaces too, I'm not someone that puts myself in a box and says, oh, I can only do X, Y, Z. And it has been that process of putting myself into those new spaces, running for school board, never wanted to be in politics ever, hardly even could answer some of the questions about who was in office and who was my representative when I decided to run. Didn't even realize that I would really be running a political campaign when I said, you know what? run for school board. I thought it was just like, hey, I'm going to tell them I'm going to run and, you know, I'm going to fill out an application and I'm going to be on the school board. No, it was like running a presidential can't raise fundraising, talking to people, right? And having to do that in a space where people didn't react positively to just what I looked like. I had people that were saying, we don't want Black people to be leaders in our school directly to my face. So it's okay for you to say that, right? Wait, what? Yeah. So dealing with all of that over that time, re I had to ground myself into who I was to get through stuff like that. And just to get through that and to not let it negatively impact me or to not even let the hate build up in me because of the hate that I was getting from them. And one of the things that I did learn, because I've used the word purpose before, and I used to be a person that thinks like your purpose is for a lifetime. Like you have a purpose and that's your purpose forever. And someone said to me like, no, your purpose can change. Your purpose can change. Like who you are at the core may say the same, but your purpose can change and it's okay for your purpose to change. Just like your likes and your dislikes change. So as you have different experiences in life, the things that you're passionate about may change. And so that really helped me to start seeing myself. Like I said, I've worked in corporate America for 20 something years, but who else is Adrian besides this corporate woman? Like people would say, introduce yourself. And I would immediately start off like, I work for Merck. Oh, that's not who I am. Like there's other aspects of me. There's other things that I like and I enjoy. So embracing that, embracing those things has helped me to get to that place where, you know, I can say, these are my values. This is who Adrian is at the core. This is what Adrian brings to the table. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. I'm sitting here scribbling notes and using your experiences. You know, I heard a quote that your story is about you, but it may not necessarily be for you. And so how are the things that you're going through or have gone through? How does that help you help others? And oftentimes the things that we are going through is because we're supposed to learn from it. 
and yeah. pour into into the lives of others. Yeah. The example I will share again, I'll go back to my experience running for school board again, living in a community where they have never had a black leader on their school board. My girls do not have a black teacher in their school. We are less, like I said, than 2%. I knew going into that, that I was not going to win. Right. But I felt like it was God telling me, this is what you need to do. And you're not doing it for yourself because all I was bringing into that was my leadership skills that I already have. I was just bringing in those skills, but I was really doing it for everybody else. The haters and everybody that was supporting me because they just needed to see me do it, right? And hoping in my mind that someone else who's been sitting on the sidelines got energized from that. I have so many people that tell me they were never even interested in politics or the school board until they heard me talk, until they followed my campaign, until they had a conversation with me. It energized them and connected them in a different way than what this community was used to hearing. I was elevating the voice of people that had gone unheard and ignored for decades. And so someone coming in with that voice that was different. So that whole experience for me was for others. Yes, I learned some things about myself during that time, but I feel like really the bigger picture was for everybody else that was watching or that became a part of the process as I was going through it. And so not many people could do that because at the end, and I'll see articles now where people will say she had an unsuccessful school board campaign. And I don't agree. That's the other. And I think that's one of the other questions that, that we, you had was about success. You have to define success for yourself. Don't let other people define what success is because everybody's definition of that is different. Me going into running for school board, success was never me getting. That was the, would have been the cherry on top. But it was never success. Success was more about connecting with my community, letting them hear my voice, knowing that we are here and energizing someone else, hoping that students even saw this as something for them to connect to. Hey, this, this Black woman, someone that looks like me is running for a leadership position. I've never seen that before. I've never heard that before. It was more for them. Absolutely. And what we've been talking about is really that ignite piece, that that's the action that you took. And I love how you said you knew that you weren't going to win, but that wasn't the point of it. There was a greater purpose. And in however many years when they do get their first Black person who's on the school board, it will be because of the foundation that you've laid and it will be built upon that. And so a lot of times when we are igniting ourselves, we're not even realizing it may not be for now. It may be for the future and it may not, and or we may not even hear or know what we've done. And so that kind of leads us to our last point around impact is, you know, I have this belief that you should want to make an impact in whatever room you walk into. And that can be different 
and it doesn't have to be the impact of right a president or you know but what's the impact that you can make and so talk to us a little bit about the impacts that you've seen yeah journey yeah so i i i I love that idea and it's always something that i keep into the back of my mind when i'm walking into any room how are people going to remember that i was here sometimes it's me saying something i remember one 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 rule i always held myself to when i was very junior in my career going to town halls and things like that where all of our executive leaders were there it was always i would always challenge myself that when they opened it up for q and a i was always going to ask a question i didn't care what the question was but i was always going to ask a question and i can't tell you how many times of me doing that i got an email from a leader that just said hmm i like that question you asked or you showed interest in this through your question. Do you want to work on this? But I always made the conscious decision to do that. The other thing I always did was more from a fashion perspective. I always wear bright color. I'm going into a big meeting, going into a room I've never been in before. I put on a statement piece, something that makes people remember me, right? Whether they connected with me or not, they may have just saw me across the room, but they're going to remember that was the girl that I had on the green emerald blazer or the big yellow necklace something that makes people connect with me because it opens the door you being able to make impact you have to walk through the door in order to do that but you have to open the door you have to open it in the one opportunity you have you have to try to open as many doors as you can even me with winning this award that I just recently was given from the Bucks County Community College for emulating Martin Luther King's dream of peace and social justice and non-discrimination. I didn't realize when I won that I was then going to be pictured on a congressman's Facebook page or a senator's Facebook page. So now I'm rippling out even further, right? I I talk, right? My journey here started in a school district, in an elementary school, trying to make space for my children. And now my journey is being seen in these other spaces. So that to me is success. It isn't what I set out to do, but it's having what you're doing speak for itself and continue to live on even in spaces where you're not. To the point, like I said, you've created your own party and now they're coming to your party instead of you having to go to their party. What immediately came to my mind is your gift will make room for you. Mm-hmm. I and love it. Walking in your gifts, in your gifting, made room for you. Yeah. I'm also a huge fan of closed doors. And I say that because the times in my life when God has closed a door, what was meant for me through another door, another window was so much bigger than I could have ever imagined. And so open the door, right? But if the door is shut to you, wasn't meant for you to walk through. 
there's another door waiting for you where your impact will will be seen, felt, and heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's happened to me in my 20-plus career, even at Merck. I remember it was maybe a year or so after my oldest daughter was was born. As I said, I like to put myself into new spaces. So I'd been in this particular function for years. And I was just sort of feeling, I need to do something different. So I decided to take a leap into a completely different function that I didn't have experience in. And I jumped into this and they decided to reorganize the group and my position got eliminated. So this is me. I've now at that time, I'd probably been at Merck for 15, maybe over 10 years, let's just say. And Merck was my dream company. Let me start out by saying that. It was my company when I decided to major in chemistry at the University of Pittsburgh that I said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to work for Merck. Because I had family members that had worked for Merck. They had always been hourly employees and maintenance and production, things like that. But I never had someone who was corporate in salary. And so that was my goal, to work at Merck and be the first for my family to be corporate in salary. And I did it. I did it within two years of graduating, I think. I started at Merck two years after I graduated. And so to have them close the door on me, eliminate my position, was devastating. It was devastating. I just wanted to crawl into a hole and leave. But it was one of those things where you got to work for another two weeks and then blah, blah, blah. But during that two weeks, I didn't really talk to many people about what had happened. But apparently there were conversations going on in rooms that I wasn't in. And the day before it was supposed to be my last day, I got a call from someone that said, we have a position for you. You don't have to leave. We'll just transfer you right over into this position. And at first I was going to be stubborn. I won't do it. You fired me. I don't want to. And it was me going back into the role that I came out of to go into. And so it was sort of like a double-edged sword, right? And I don't know if I want to do this. But I remember that leader saying to me, someone made a decision for you. You need to put yourself in a position where you're able to make a decision for yourself. So this is an opportunity for you to do that and have the least amount of impact on you and your family. So she really made me think about it differently. And so I I took the position. I continued my career at Merck. And while it was a process, while it was hard for me to sort of get back into it, because I'd sort of like cut myself off, but get back into it, where I am today, I can't even put into word what it means and how it feels when I look back on that. There were years that I was hurt by what happened. And based off of where I am today and the inroads that I've made, the connections that I've made, the experiences that I've had, and what that is allowing me to do, almost like create my own space, is invaluable, right? And so I, when I look back, 
based on what you said, I had to go through that in order to get to this better place that I'm in today, right? Opening my own doors instead of waiting, right? The door was closed and it was opened. I had to choose to go through the door. Now I'm creating my own door. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening today. And please go support Adrian and her mission with the Pair Up Society. I will have those links in the show notes. Adrian, thank you so much again for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. And our topic, you can read my shirt. It says she believed she could, but she needed a break. So she said no. This is my 2023 motto. <laughs> I need one of those. You Belong Here with Beth Ruffin is a production of The Everyday Inclusionist and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Please follow, subscribe, share, and leave a review. Check out the show notes for this week's journal page. And if you have a question you'd like me to address, send an email to info at bethruffin.com. Thank you.